Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week we demystify digital marketing and help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. We'll cover the right plan to get your amazing business growing online, along with tips and tricks from our upcoming playbook, as well as insights from successful people in the industry. If you're in a B2B business and would like to see your marketing work for you, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, with the right plan, anyone can grow their business online. Welcome back to the B2B playbook podcast. Kevin, 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 how was your weekend? George, it was not too bad, but it started off with a lot of work. Friday night, Christine's friends uh, kindly sent her and I one of those pre-delivered meals from a nice restaurant that you have to sort of assemble at home. Oh, um, yep, yep, yep. They're you know, a lot more. Things, they're a lot more work than you want them to be, aren't they? I was just gonna say they're always way too much work. I mean, if you're going out to a nice restaurant for a feed, you're definitely not looking to cook for two hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if it's a you know if it's a heat up meal, it, it does need a little bit of work if it's a nice if it's a nice restaurant. So yeah, I, I don't know how popular they would ever get. I guess that that's not a question that we really need to answer we're coming out of lockdown here in sydney on the slow road out of lockdown so it's a good time it's the do-it-yourself era isn't it kev i mean look that's what we're doing at the b2b playbook we're letting people do it themselves but we're not charging for it i guess is probably the key differentiator yeah that's right i think uh when i pay well at least i didn't have to pay this time but um, (laughs) if you were to pay that amount of money you wouldn't expect to cook it yourself so no no and but did it turn out anything close to what you'd expect at the restaurant it, it wasn't too bad i mean you you think you're a pretty good cook you've cooked for yeah, me credit, you are quite to, good credit to christine and i we 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 hold our own in the kitchen but yeah. i think uh for a lot of people in the kitchen if you're if you're doing that it's not it's not the easiest thing to do yeah, it did take us a little while. You know, you got to read the instructions a couple of times. It was two page of dense instructions, George. Yeah, but that's something that I would say you are better prepared for than most. Like <laughs> you are very good at following instructions. No, I mean, look, you you excellent at critical thinking too, Kevin. You don't follow them <laughs> blindly, you know, but yeah, I, I think you're well prepared. 
Yeah, anyways, uh, before we get too sidetracked into it, I mean, it is a real first world problem. <laughs> it, it was a very enjoyable dinner in the end, and it wasn't too much work. Um, but I think everyone will be very happy that lockdown is ending here in Sydney. And you can just go to a restaurant and have a feed without cooking. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, by the time Kev, we release this episode, we'll be at least a couple of weeks into uh, things opening up again. So some of our listeners could have sore heads on a Monday following a big weekend. That's right. Yep. Uh, we'll try not to be too loud this episode. Yeah, I'll tone things down. What have we got today? We're continuing on from where we left last week, aren't we? Yeah, it's a uh, second part of a two-parter of building basic visibility online. So listeners, a quick reminder that this is still in part one or stage one of our five Bs, be ready. And building basic visibility is all about getting your website seen online. And really for the two-parter, the the point that we're trying to make is this. Probably everybody, George and myself included, have a strong opinion about Google, whether they're, you know, whether we, we love them or we hate them, we think they're the savior or the end of the world in terms of data privacy. Uh, really, at the end of the day, whatever they say about the ethos, they're just another business trying to make money. They need to make revenue goals, they need to make money to keep improving, keep growing their business. And if you treat them in that way, and if you see them just as another business, you can use that knowledge to get the most out of the platforms that they offer. So Google Ads, Google Search, and that same principle applies to every other platform online. It's a great way to keep it nice and simple. I like that. You know, they are just another business. Like every business, they're all out there trying to make money. So you've got to look at how you can leverage that to your advantage. Yeah, I think when we first started talking about this, George, do you remember, uh, I, think, I think someone mentioned in the news or somewhere that Google had in their, you know, employer handbook, like ethos, business guide, don't be evil. And they had just recently <laughs> taken it out and we were all wondering why are you taking it out? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that again was like a very polarizing event. And oftentimes we look at these big tech companies and we think, oh, are they evil? Are they good? And there's so much emotional drive behind it. But it's just a reminder to our listeners that all these businesses are businesses. Um, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, at some point, it depends on money. As they get bigger, uh, that's more and more the case. So make sure you treat them accordingly. Actually, Kev, uh, you'll probably recall when we both worked in agency land and um, we go for our lunches at Google and everyone, when they think of uh, working at Google, like, oh my God, it's so amazing. Like they have slippery slides and cooking classes and dance classes and like these amazing cafes and whatever you want all the time. We'd go there. And I mean, I was always kind of highly skeptical of it, right? Coming yeah. from like, coming and you too, coming from like a, a law firm, which promises you, promises you the world and then crushes your soul. I was very skeptical of big corporations and we got there and we got to know like these awesome account managers who are real high achievers from Mm. often from like other industries and they've come into Google and it was a common theme that all the account managers we dealt with were lovely, but like they just weren't able to take advantage of any of these amazing perks that Google offered because they just had to work super hard. Like, yeah, they might've had a dance studio there. They might've had cooking classes, 
but they were always empty. Like no yeah. one ever, ever got to use them. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point, George. I think, uh, you know, we always talk about it. There's, there's definitely worse places to work on Earth than Google. But as your papa said very wisely, <laughs> you know, they... Big tech companies offer those things uh, not because they can and sometimes because they care, but more often than not, because they want you to keep working. That's right. Yeah, he's a very, very wise man. Very wise man. And, you know, not not pay you that amount of money, just keep you working. <laughs> That's right. That's right. If there's all these employee benefits, it's because they're not paying you enough. But anyway. <laughs> That's a whole other kettle of fish. A whole other kettle of fish. And yeah, just a a great reminder that these big platforms are just regular businesses and there's ways that you, even as the small, medium-sized business owner or marketer can uh, take advantage of it and play it to your advantage. And over this two-parter, we're discussing that need to promote your business online and how to do that. And just a real quick recap of last episode, you know, we talked about that need to promote your business online because the website is not enough by itself. If you just send a website live, you're probably not going to get streams and streams of users coming through and leads going into your business. You do need to promote it. And you do that through these online channels, as we call them. To do that, it's important to take a moment and understand uh, about those channels as we discussed there. Um, You'll remember the three questions that you should ask yourself when you look at a new channel, who owns that channel, what's their purpose and audience. And does that all match up to your target audience? And in this episode, we're really gonna dig into the channels that you should set up no matter what, whether that's B2B, B2C, if you're small, uh, if you're big, whatever business that you might be in, you should set these channels up as soon as you get online. And then how do you use that understanding of the channels you picked up in the last episode to find the best ones for your business? And finally, we'll round out the episode by talking about some of the common channels that we've seen work particularly well for B2B businesses. Okay, just to be super clear, last week was about how to take advantage of these channels and this week is about actually choosing the right ones for your business. Is that right? That's right. That's right, George. And we're going to kick off this week, I think, from a different angle slightly from our previous episodes. We're going to talk about these concepts from the angle of being a commercial property leaser. So pretend like you're WeWork. Oh, WeWork. Yeah, WeWork. <laughs> they've they've uh, been hot in the news. One. Yeah. yeah. Um, but pretending that you're WeWork for a second and thinking about how you would bring that sort of business online. So if you're lending, if you're leasing out commercial property to small and medium-sized businesses, freelancers, whoever it might be, you're talking B2B and how you would bring your business online. All right, so let's talk about the foundational channels that you should set up no matter what. And you see a common theme develop, George, with these ones. We really try to pick out the ones that are virtually free or have very little setup required uh, to get you some of that visibility online. So a no-brainer scenario. So if you are a WeWork-like business owner or any B2B business, you should set up, first of all, your Google My Business Yep. Yep. Google My Business. That's always really the first one that anyone should set up, right? It just gives you so much free space with immediate impact. Yeah, it's a definite no-brainer. It's free to set up. As George said, it's super easy to set up as well. You just need to log in, create an account. Google will send you a nice little postcard to your address to verify that it is indeed your business, your office uh, at that address. And then you can control 
what the users see right away when they search a business. Uh, it is very visible, as you said, George, it's right at the top of search results on the right hand side. So no matter how well you rank in terms of your website showing up in the search results, if your business is the name that's searched, you should have that profile shown up on the right hand side. So it's not just for um, people searching for your business specifically, right, Kevin? So if you own or if you are Mr. WeWork or Mrs. WeWork, <laughs> it's not just people Googling WeWork. It's right. It, it's if someone searches like office space near me and if you have a business that has office space and you have a Google My Business, then there's an opportunity for your business to show there in Google's listings. Yeah, exactly. Uh you know, it won't always work perfectly every time. Like for example, if you have a strong competitor in the space who are in the same locale, very similar position, uh, location, then they could show up first. But if if that's not the case, your local marketing, as they call it, uh, would be very effective. You would most likely show up first if it's something very relevant to your business. Yeah, it's just a great way to, to get that visibility, particularly starting with your local area that you can definitely service. Yeah, I've noticed Google's using like carousels more and more as well, Kev. So even if you're not the first, if you're in that top three or four, there's often a very good chance that someone's going to see your business, um, even if it's not first. And it is a much richer listing than other search results. So what I mean by that is you can put in pictures, you can put in a lot of info around office hours, contact methods, updates around you know, businesses, practices, new services, products, all those kind of things can actually go into that profile. So it's a super helpful space. And then the next one, the next one is actually very closely related. It's just a Bing version of that. It's called Bing Places for Business. As usual, Bing copies, <laughs> copies Google. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I've ever set up <laughs> Bing Places <laughs> in my life. Oh, that's uh, such a guilty dog admission from me. But uh, well, yeah. You know, that's why we're Team George. Yeah. Where you don't, I'll remind you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but it is definitely a very helpful one. You know, uh, maybe our listeners will remember from a previous episode, we talked about how being as a search engine, you might not think much of it. You might not even remember that it exists most of the time, but it, particularly in the B2B space and depending on whether you're in the US uh, or here in Australia, actually has a very big um, share of the market, particularly when, you, when you're trying to reach business users. Reason being is it's preloaded onto a lot of Microsoft machines, onto a lot of Android machines, and that's a big plus because most users of those of those computers within a work setting either can't be bothered installing Chrome or another browser, or they're not allowed to. You know, a lot of businesses these days they have privacy and internet use policies in place, so they're not allowed to install programs that they want to, and they have to use the default browser, which often is Bing on you know Microsoft Windows machines, and and uh, yeah, so those users will probably be using Bing, and it actually makes up you know anywhere between ten to 30 percent of the share of the market, and particularly when you're talking to business users who use it during their work hours that might be even higher when you consider that as well. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's 
basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. And there's less competition on there too, Kev, isn't there? Mm. Because people just aren't looking at it as much. It's always a secondary tertiary channel that people don't dedicate as much attention to guilty, um, at least with, I mean, you know, we always run ads there, but um, yeah, I mean, I haven't set up Bing places in in some time. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a good one to bring across. And just like um, when we're running ads, there's an import option straight from, so if you set up your Google My Business, you can import that over pretty quickly on Bing. So yeah, very little time to set up and uh, hopefully gets you a little bit more reach. And so if we're thinking about from that uh, commercial lease, like if we were like a WeWork like business, this is another great place where you would find some more customers. You can imagine that your dream customers could be looking for new office spaces. So virtual office space, renting off office spaces near me, those kind of searches could be again going on on Bing, particularly if they're in the office or they're working on a work. Uh, machine where they have being as the default browser and so yeah definitely one that you should set up yeah and kev you touched on this just before but even if you have a relatively new site that isn't ranking very well organically jumping onto bing places or google my business and getting a head start there over your competitors you can actually surface pretty early on from having a new google my business or a new Bing places. Whereas if someone just searched you regularly, you might not come up in the normal search results, but you can kind of trump them. It's almost a bit of a short, bit of a shortcut to getting discovered. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely a good point. All right. The next one here is on-site work. This is where it maybe gets a little technical, but uh, listeners, you, you probably didn't set up the website yourself, or if you did, you probably have a site manager, but the next couple of things really group together into on-site work or SEO, a, a part of SEO, search engine optimization, a bit of jargon for the listeners. <laughs> but basically it's just things that you can change on your website. So search engines like Google, Bing can read your site better. What you wanna try and do here is give it information that you want it to read. So if Again, if you're leasing commercial property to people, um, so you should use keywords like commercial property rental and hire because it's relevant to the service that you offer. And you should try and use that in the titles and, and meta descriptions on your page. So these are things that Google scrapes off your website to show in the search results when someone searches for a product or service that you offer to make sure that the right pages show up. I guess you always have two audiences for your website, don't you care? You have your actual dream customers who are reading it and the other one is Google and they're the two that you're making your website for. And Google, as Google is getting better, the gap between the two is closing more and more because that's where Google want to be. They want to be in that space where they understand as much as your audience does and understand how to rank that information accordingly. And so the point that you're making here, Kevin, is about the technical side and how you can use where you place certain words on your website to help Google understand it as well as your audience does. Yeah, that's a much better way to put it. Uh, thanks for that, George. Uh, really clarifies it, hopefully for our listeners. <laughs> I just remember the first time I was at school and someone told me that spiders and robots crawled the internet to understand the like to understand the internet and understand websites. I was like, oh my God, what does that mean? I don't get it. This sounds so complex. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like that, actually. Um, so what did you say there, George, that it's Google and users are the two groups of people that are reading your website and they're getting closer? Yeah. And yeah, all these things are just trying to help you communicate to both of those or as a group uh, better. Yeah, without compromising too much for either one. Yeah, and we won't go into too much detail here about the things that you can change, but some of the top things that you should look at are site, your sitemap, um, your robots.txt file, and your page titles and meta descriptions. Now, if you're not sure about those, just have a Google and start to read and educate yourself about those ones. Uh, we'll list them in the show notes. And if you do have a site manager who is looking after SEO for you, uh, just reach out to them and get them to explain what they're working on for you in those respects. Each of those have scary names, but they're nowhere near as scary as what they sound like. So give them, give them a Google. And um, yeah, I think you guys will understand them what they are pretty quickly. Okay, so we have Google My Business and Bing Places as two ways of getting discovered uh, for free. Then we just spoke about what you can do on your website to then get ranked better by Google when people Google and you come up in the search results. What else have you got for us, Kev, in terms of foundational channels that are free that our listeners should absolutely have set up? Yeah, the next one is Google Search Console. Now, this isn't exactly a channel, George, well, as you know, but just for our listeners' benefit, it's not exactly a, a channel, but it is a very helpful tool from Google. So it's a free tool, again, that's Google Search Console that you can connect to your website, and it basically tells you what's wrong with your website or what's right with your website as well. So for example, if uh, in our example, we have a commercial property leasing site, and it's loading pages uh, of listings too slow, Google will tell you that through Search Console. And so you can connect that up to your website. You can get reports and signals of what things are working on your website through that tool right away. And then you can look to fix from there. So if I'm WeWork and someone is searching on WeWork for listings, or I guess office space in Surrey Hills in Sydney, for example, and then those are loading really slow, Google Search Console will tell you these are loading really slow, won't they? Yeah, exactly. So it, it will tell you how many seconds it took uh, down to down to split seconds, things like that. It yeah. will tell you which pages are the, the highest priority for you to look at. And then, yeah, exactly. It, it will give you specifics on how to improve those things. So you might not necessarily, if you're not overly technical yourself with websites, you might not necessarily be able to fix that, but at least you know, hey, here's the things that I probably should work on if I have time and resources uh, to, to bring in someone to, to work on that for me. And Google are looking at things that they think are going to be bad for users. And if it's bad for users, then it's going to push you further down in the search results when someone's Googling for a service like yours, which is why it's important to respond when Google Search Console surfaces something that it sees as an issue. Google sees it as an issue because at the end of the day, they think that it's bad for the audience. So it's something that you should definitely fix. Yeah, because that will ultimately determine how visible your website is. Uh, Google is the ultimate decider here. There's a lot of other reasons to set up Google Search Console as well. Obviously, it gives you reports like what sort of things people search to get onto your website, but definitely one of the best uses is figuring out if there's anything wrong with your website or things that need to be fixed. So definitely set up Google Search Console. 
And it's not too hard to set up either. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's worth the initial 10 minutes in setting it up. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's very similar to sort of setting up a Google My Business or something like that. Just type it into Google and follow the instructions and be up and running in no time. They also give you information about like what keywords people search to come to your site. I mean, they don't reveal everything in typical Google fashion, but they do give you a little bit more insight that you might not have otherwise as to the keywords people are searching. So yeah, it's good good to dig around. Yeah, they actually give you a fair bit of good information when they do that. Um, you know, they, they tell you what position you showed up in on average, uh, so you know how far away things are. So if you're, if you're you know, close to the top 10 search results, you're close to that first page, maybe you want to do most of your work on your website on those pages to get them ranking first and yeah that's a you know it shows you the opportunities where you can really push it yeah it's normally enough for most of our listeners to get started i mean we pay for a tool arefs which costs what well, is probably nearly two grand a year um which is a much bigger expense and our listeners probably don't even need that they probably don't need a lot of the features in it um at this point no, I definitely say start with uh, Google Search Console. It can do a lot of that stuff that you need to do. And by the time you've sort of outgrown just the functionalities of Google Search Console, you either would be looking at hiring someone in, whether it's an agency or freelancer to look at your SEO for you, or you'll be able to figure out which tools you need um, from there, like Ahrefs or SEMrush or any of those. You'd be able to figure out where your gaps are in terms of your needs for extra tools like that. Okay, so that's Google Search Console, which again, isn't actually a channel, but it's kind of mm. like a window into Google's brain and what it thinks about your site, really. That's right. All right, the last one here that we're going to cover that every business should set up as a fundamental channel is your free social pages and posts. So going back to the example of being a commercial space renter, you're probably posting on things like LinkedIn to hopefully build a following of the right audience. Things like Instagram might be something that you're interested in as well. So all these social pages are actually channels within themselves. Now, you don't need to always be entertaining for these. I think that's a common misconception is that Although I do prefer it, Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> I do prefer it. Definitely it definitely helps. I just want to be entertained. But no, you're right. You don't have to be entertained all the time, do you? No, it really should be a reflection of you know what, what your business is doing. Like what's that tone of voice that it holds with its customers? And it doesn't always have to be entertaining. A lot of the times, B2B business owners in particular will probably hold themselves back a little bit from posting on these platforms too much. That's really what we're trying to turn around is that you can put aside that thought that you have to be entertaining in every post you have to give something that's of entertainment value sometimes people just want to know what's the cheapest price or you know what's a data point that they should consider when they're looking at renting a, a commercial space and that is enough uh, sometimes people just want that helpful information updates about your business can build interest and make audiences invest in your brand over time as well so it could be very simple stuff like you know what's the priorities for the business this week um, that the general public might find interesting new site launches for your commercial listings maybe offers that are ongoing you know everyone loves an offer for that sort of thing or even posts about like a really cool new listing that you have available that's that's the sort of stuff that will start to build your momentum on these channels that are already already exist are free uh, for you to start building pages on and start posting in 
And it's probably where some of your audiences already live, like we talked about in previous episodes. So uh, start thinking about the social channels that you may already be tapping into and start building them up to be a more regular practice. Yeah, we don't need um, people in commercial real estate to be entertaining. When we talk about (laughs) (laughs) businesses being entertaining, that's really just one content tilt, which we've spoken about before, the idea that look at what other people are doing in your industry and what is your tilt that's going to get you some cut through. Entertainment could just be one aspect of that, but in commercial real estate, probably the most important things are to show that one, you have amazing listings available and relevant to the people that are viewing your listings. And the second is that they can trust you to get a good deal done when the time comes as well. So they'd be the, probably the two main things that you build on. And entertainment probably isn't quite as necessary there if you find your own way of delivering that message that's a little bit different to what else is in your market. Yeah, very good point. All right, so there we go. That's the that's the foundational channels that are all, almost all virtually free, if not free, um, that you should start to look into right away when you have your website live. I love it that we call these free because, I mean, they are free, but you know what we're actually trading, Kevin. Right? Yeah. They're, they're free for businesses, but <laughs> we're trading people's attention, people's eyeballs. I mean, it's not truly free, is it? We're giving away privacy. Yeah, part of it is that we're, we're giving away privacy. We're giving away, you know, the resources and time and effort spent to, to set these things up as business owners as well. But it is a good place to start. It's the best places to start when you don't have maybe the monetary backing that you need to, to get hard into some of the paid channels online. Yeah, it's as free as anything can be, isn't it? In this day and age, definitely. All right, George, we're going to talk about next how to decide on the best channels to promote a business. So once you have those foundational channels down and you want to explore, maybe on that last point about social pages, you've only got you know Instagram set up. Uh, maybe you're, you're trying to figure out which next channel should I invest in more. Um, this is what this section is about. So, okay, so we want to look at what are the actual correct channels for you and I think, Kev, I think what you're going to tell us is you can generally reasonably conclude where your audience is going to be, can't you? I actually was very surprised with someone choosing a channel. There's a little bit of a backstory here, but I I think it's probably worth sharing. There's a guy I went to school with who went very, very rogue. And, um, (laughs) well, he's actually, you know what, he's... If you looked at his own personal LinkedIn, he's like a solicitor for the crown. So he doesn't look to be that rogue himself. He's in a relationship with someone and together they've created their own OnlyFans. It's quite unbelievable because I can see he's trying to build their audience from their OnlyFans on their Instagram account. But then I saw he started doing it on Twitter and I thought, well, this is an interesting use for Twitter. I didn't know Twitter would be a place where you would build Mm. uh, an OnlyFans audience. And then I think he started looking at sharing things on LinkedIn too. And at that point I was like, oh my God, have you lost your mind? What are you doing? (laughs) LinkedIn is not the appropriate channel for this. 
No, that's a good point. Um, it there is definitely a need to match the the channel to your audience needs, your business needs. I mean, we we can run through maybe the steps involved in deciding the best channels really quickly, so our listeners have an idea of that process that we generally go through. Yeah, that sounds good. Clean clean up, clean this up for us, Kev. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> before I take us off track, please. <laughs> Back down the OnlyFans rabbit hole. I think the I think the point remains though. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, a very good illustration of maybe it's just that principle of horses for courses. You know, there are certain things that work for a business and there are things that don't. So um, hopefully this next process that we cover will help you avoid some of those pitfalls that maybe Georgia friend has um, stumbled uh, Not on. friend. He's a, an acquaintance. Acquaintance. Not, okay. yeah, we, we know yourself, each other. <laughs> I, I follow him purely out of my, for my own entertainment. Like we oh, are good. not friends. Spoken like a true ex-lawyer. Yeah. Seeing yourself from the scene of the crime. Very good. <laughs> All right. All right. This process of helping you decide the best channels for you. It starts with reminding yourself of your why, of your business why and the chunks in your business story. And then thinking about the audiences of each of those channels that you've analyzed in, if you've followed us through from the last chapter uh, from the last episode we talked about how to define how to figure out which channels talk to which audience and what that audience looks like so looking at the sets of audiences for each channel and figuring out which matches your target audience the best so this is important um, importantly comes second after reminding yourself of your business why and your business story because once you have that understanding of your business in mind you remember oh those are my dream customers that's my dream 100 these are the audiences i need to try and match and the audiences that i know exist in different channels or that different channels reach so you're trying to match uh, your target audience to the audiences that each of these channels can reach and once you find a match or the channels that have the best match, figure out the top one or two and start testing free opportunities on those channels. So what I mean by that is there's generally like free versions of that channel's reach. So for example, if we're talking about LinkedIn, you can post things for free. You can set up a business page for free. You can set up LinkedIn groups for free. LinkedIn also has paid versions of these like LinkedIn email ads, uh, boosted posts and things like that. So it's important to start with those free opportunities to test that audience fit and see if it, you get some traction. You don't need to get you know, enough audience to sustain your whole business just off the free channels and you probably won't in this day and age because as you remember from last episode, these channels, all these owners are you know, commercially minded to a certain extent. So they will be pushing you towards the paid versions of the channels at some point in time, but you do still need to do that testing with free channels first um, or the free options for those channels to see if that uh, audience fit is there and then test the paid versions of those channels off the back of that result. And then once you hit that point of diminishing returns for each of the free and paid channels for particular providers, so for example, if you ran LinkedIn posts and at a certain point you really start to cap out in terms of the extra reach you get there and you need to keep growing your business, you might have tried some paid ads to extend that reach. And then you're starting to uh, hit a brick wall with the paid ads as well. So the cost of getting each lead from LinkedIn is now going up exponentially and past the point where you're profitable. 
then you can repeat this whole process and look at, okay, what's the next channel that has a great audience fit with my target audience and start again testing free channels from there. So that's almost the life cycle of a channel, Kev. You've got your dream customers, look at where it is that they're hanging out online already, which platforms are they using? Then you go, okay, can I jump on those platforms? Which of their free tools can I use to get in front of them as much as possible? At some point, you can look at the paid version of that particular channel, which you gave examples on, like LinkedIn sponsored ads or in mail or whatever it is to get more reach or more eyeballs. And then eventually you hit a point where you start reaching diminishing returns for that particular channel because competition basically goes up or those channels want to make more money and they jack up the prices of those auctions so you end up paying more for the same amount of eyeballs. So you hit diminishing returns and then you look at, okay, where else? What other channels do my dream customers hang out on online and you move on to those ones? Yeah, exactly. So I guess this process is is almost future-proof, right? Like we can change the channels, we can change even the medium um, from from offline to online to video to, I don't know, in the future, maybe AR, you know, uh, VR, whatever it might be. But it's the same, it's the same concept. You know, you test the free versions, you go to the paid versions, wherever this, you know, target audience fit for those channels. And then you recycle as you hit the point of diminishing returns. I mean, it's, it's fairly logical, but it is something that's worth calling up because these channels really try and distract you. There's so many options when you get into them of where you can start that it's kind of hard to figure out, okay, well, where's the first step? And they will always try and push you to the paid versions first because that's where they make their money. And they try and push you there often too quickly without you having that opportunity to test whether there is actually that audience fit before you invest more into it. So it is important to stick to that uh, logical process of going through and testing the channels fully and growing it to its maximum and then moving on to the next one. This is teaching our audience how to fish, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, at least we're trying. I'm not sure if the, the point's coming across too clearly for me. Maybe if we run through that commercial company example one more time, uh, that might help. Um, so in this case, that first step of reminding yourself what your why is and what the business story is as a we work like entity you know, your, your why is supporting SMEs. Uh, it's bringing that service of flexibility um, to these SMEs that they can move their office space around if they need. And so the audience that you're looking to reach is business owners. So in that second step, when you're thinking about which channels uh, allow you to reach those small business owners, those that are looking for flexible spaces, the natural one that comes to mind is LinkedIn because it is really the only platform online right now that allows you to reach small business owners um, in a very targeted way. Like you can target by industry, location, job title, um, the size of the company, all these things that would matter to you as a commercial leasing company. There is um, similar audiences around business owners and things like that in the other channels, but there's no one channel like LinkedIn where you can segment by so many things that's related to a, a person's profession and their career. Cool. Thank you, Kev. On an interesting and related but somewhat tangent, this reminds me of the conversation that you and I have had many, many times about if we were to pick a business ourselves to invest in 
would it be an agency that just focuses on one of these channels and tries to do that? And I think you and I basically concluded that these channels really have like a five, 10 year life cycle before they're so competitive and the advertisers want to squeeze so much out of you that unless you're servicing as an agency, just the top end of town, the clients who are spending tons of money, mm. it doesn't it doesn't really work for the smaller guys anymore. And you and I are always in this, you know, as career changes, we wanted to help the small, medium-sized guys. And yep. that was a big part of why we didn't want to just be like, okay, we want to be an agency that just focuses on one platform because we could see that that had a limited life cycle. Yeah, 100%. It's one of the main reasons why we, you know, we we're doing this um this whole playbook uh one of the biggest reasons is that we saw it as these platforms develop as the online you know digital space develops and the agency uh model develops more and more the agencies have to service the big guys in order to be profitable because the small guys you know it's if, if you're looking at it from an agency point of view for the same amount of work, they could be getting paid way more from a bigger company and they need that because more and more complexity are coming into these platforms as they mature. So they need to push towards the big guys where they are still profitable themselves. Um, so that does create that gap you're talking about, George, where the SMEs are at the lower end of the market for you know trying to get online, trying to use digital channels to promote their business, they're getting serviced uh, either you know, not well, so not by experts who can afford to charge um, more because they don't have big clients. Or if they do have that technology and that skill and expertise, that they're not there to service the small guys. They're there to service the big guys. And that gap uh, comes into market. And that's why we're setting this up so that hopefully it can be a bit more self-serve in a lot of instances, but stuff that's very relevant to the small guys because no one's really thinking about adapting their the strategies, their approaches to just the small guys. Mm. Plus, it's somewhat ironic that these big companies are simplifying their tools. Like Google Ads has simplified so much mm. in the time that we've been using it, which enables smaller guys to get on it. But because more and more smaller guys are getting on it, the competition overall is going up, which is making it more expensive for everyone. Yeah. And then yeah. in a way, almost making it less affordable for the smaller guys and to the point where only the bigger guys can actually afford to pay for those yeah, eyeballs, so for true. those clicks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, it, it, you know, we see that happen all the time. And that's why we advocate for looking at these channels in this channel agnostic way where you mm. can apply that framework to any new channels that come through. So you can figure out, other new opportunities maybe google isn't the right one for small businesses anymore maybe i need to move on beyond the main channels that are offered these days that that framework will help you decide which ones you should invest in and move into and i think it's a good point as well we, we've seen a lot of movement being inside the industry from google from the likes of facebook where they really try and simplify their platform simplify the product for the small guys and as you said there the more they do that, the more competition gets driven into those spaces, the more the small guys can't afford to play in that space. So it, as simple as they can make it, the returns and the, and the profitability goes with that as well because the, the, I guess the barrier to entry becomes lower and lower um, on those channels, which has that opposite effect. Uh, it becomes a channel that is just for the big guys, which is, uh, which is a shame, but 
you know, there's ways that you can get around that and hopefully some of the stuff that we share will, will help. Yep, that's why I love what you've just shared with our audience, teaching them to fish, being channel agnostic. All right, well, coming back to focusing on B2B businesses, there are a couple of common channels that we just want to re-emphasize and call out again as ones that you should explore if you're in that B2B space right after you set up your foundational channels. The first two are probably a no-brainer for most people and you can probably guess it is LinkedIn. So both LinkedIn, the free version and also the paid ads that you can run on LinkedIn. So just touching on the free things that you can do on LinkedIn, we've talked about a lot about why you should dig into that because of that audience fit. But there's a couple of other things that are important to look at here. Um, the audiences here are very engaged in learning and furthering their careers. Um, so the technical skills that's related to their careers, they are looking for business and professional opportunities in that space. So keep that in mind as well. Not only is is it an audience that you can target that fits that business um, B2B requirements of segmenting, it's also very good uh, and aligned intent to what you want to do. So it is already a pool of people who are probably coming to the platform to look for you know, tools that will improve their business, the latest developments in the industry. So it's already an audience that has the right intent. So it's not just a great place because it's where they're hanging out. It's a great place because it's where they're actually likely to listen to you, be receptive and maybe even take some action just because that's the type of platform LinkedIn is. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Sometimes I feel like we're a, like a like sponsored by LinkedIn. We mention <laughs> them so much. You know, having said that, I wouldn't turn away a potential sponsorship from LinkedIn, but yeah. please LinkedIn. Please. Maybe we need to <laughs> maybe we need to pretend that we have like other bigger sponsors at the moment and start doing <laughs> start doing some readouts from I don't know, Capterra or actually maybe that's too niche. Maybe we'll just be like sponsored by a car brand. I don't know. Small, medium-sized <laughs> business owners could be listening. They could be buying new cars. It could be. This episode be. <laughs> brought to you by Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Elon Musk says <laughs> dumb stuff all the time without meaning it. Well, we can do it. He can't get mad if, if we say we're sponsored by Tesla. Yeah, hey, we could be, we could be the next... Bitcoin, you know, our value could explode. Who knows? We could. We could. I just think if we're going to choose a company to fake sponsor us, I think Tesla <laughs> Tesla's the one that has the least number of legs to stand on. <laughs> All right, George, before we get ourselves into any more legal hot water, let's... <laughs> Let's move on to paid LinkedIn. One thing we would call out with paid LinkedIn is it, it might seem like a great opportunity to expand your reach a little bit if you're having success with um, the free things that you can do on LinkedIn. But do be careful when you start testing it because there are very high costs involved. So at the moment, LinkedIn is really one of the only channels that you can effectively target B2B audiences. Uh, there's not that many other channels at the moment that give you that sort of targeting. One of the ones that is actually related to LinkedIn, we'll touch on in a second, is uh, Bing ads. But just with LinkedIn, because it's one of the only channels that you can target these audiences, LinkedIn knows that. And so they really jack up the prices. So it can be quite expensive when you're testing paid LinkedIn ads. Part of that is because 
the audience requirements are a little bigger than some of the other channels. So it is more expensive to reach that bigger pool of people. Um, but you should be as targeted as possible with person's title, the company that they work in, industry location, as tight as possible. They do have limitations on how tight you can go, but as tight as possible will help you um, get some of those results that you really need to get out of it and avoid some of the high costs involved. Just a little takeaway for our users who want something to action right now. What we find works really well is using your LinkedIn on the organic side as much as you can to build that audience, direct them to your site, and then do any of your remarketing paid activity, meaning you know the second time you want to send an ad to someone and follow around the internet. Do that on another platform. Um, Facebook is still a lot cheaper than that and can still drive really good results mm. as a second touch point. Yeah, so if you're using LinkedIn, organic is great. If you're using ads, you know, try and push them to your site to build that audience and then look to convert them on another platform. Yeah, great tip, George. LinkedIn is definitely not very efficient for doing your remarketing. So definitely try and avoid that where you can. All right, the next one that you should probably try as a B2B business is paid search ads. When I say paid search ads, most people will probably immediately think about Google ads, but I would implore you to have a look into Bing ads first. Um, as we discussed earlier in the episode, it is cheaper. There is generally less competition on that platform. Plus that audience match is probably a little bit better given the demographic that tends to use Bing. But importantly as well, uh, over time, because Bing is also owned by Microsoft, um, which owns LinkedIn as well, you will get access to some of those LinkedIn audiences through Bing search ads. So that's quite important. Uh, you can actually use some of those audiences there over time. As well as that, search ads generally are very high intent. So people are, because it's keyword based, it's based on what people actually type in to search. It's very high intent. It almost self filters that intent level audience. It can sometimes be high cost uh, because you'd need so many touch points in a B2B decision-making process. So, you know, people have to click on five to seven search ads before they convert maybe, or you have to reach five to seven different people in that decision-making cycle for a particular business. Um, so do be aware of that when you're testing it in terms of cost. But again, it's one of the highest intent spaces that you can go to with that right audience fit for B2B business. Yeah, that um, purchase of Microsoft for LinkedIn, that's a really happy marriage between Bing and LinkedIn. I think it's going to get a lot more people, I mean, even more people using Bing and more advertisers on Bing or what yeah, they call Microsoft very, Search. Yeah, yeah I, I, a very smart move by Microsoft. Yeah, I'm betting big on them. And by betting big, I mean, I don't have any money in their shares at all. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but at least verbally, I keep telling people, <laughs> I think it's going to be huge. Yep, virtually betting big. Virtually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just had a conversation about investing, Kevin, and at no point did I say I should invest in Microsoft. Well, you're betting big. That's all that matters. I'm, I'm betting big. <laughs> betting big, baby. <laughs> all right, George, the last one here uh, is, is probably a little bit more general, um, and it is industry-specific. So there are existing forums digital trade shows and probably common recurring webinars that uh, are relevant to your particular industry or your particular B2B space. 
which are probably good channels to explore next. Um, now these are a bit harder to generalize and tell you about because depending on what form that takes, how you get onto those channels is more difficult. Um, but just some ideas for you that these channels do exist and that new channels are being developed all the time. And probably some good examples, if you're still in that commercial space, it might even be traditional channels like a magazine publication that always goes around or Business Australia. Maybe a lot of small businesses are part of that uh, membership. Maybe you want to sponsor emails or publications by them uh, or offering to do a free piece of content for their website that also calls out your services. These are some of the examples that you can explore that are industry specific. It comes back to making your dream 100 and listing all those places that your audience hang out, both offline and online in this case. And just to take one online example, you were talking about, you mentioned webinars and there might be someone in your dream 100 who has a webinar that's like the perfect fit for your target audience and you would love to get in front of that audience. Um, I mean, reaching out to try and be part of that webinar and saying, you know, we have experience in X, Y, Z. We think that could be a really good fit for your audience or we have these new findings we'd love to share. You know, can we come on and, and, and share them? Or if they're a really big uh, company that you're trying to partner with and you find it hard to get in touch with them, we'll look at who else have they done webinars with in the past that might be a little bit smaller and maybe start with them first and work your way up. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Hey, uh, one near and dear to our hearts, George, that uh, I just thought of. Say you're in that commercial leasing space, you might think about uh, reaching out to podcasts as well. So people who are uh, doing their podcasts in that property investment space. So for example, one that we listen to on and off is the Property Couch. They often have guest appearances. So if you get onto the podcast and talk about you know, the five things that you should look out for when you're doing commercial leases, uh, that could be a very good way to set yourself up for some leads coming through podcasts and an audience that's already engaged in the right space. Yeah, yeah, great example. All right, I've had a lot of fun doing this episode. If we're going to summarize it, it's really the key takeaways that businesses like Google are just that, aren't they, Kevin? They're businesses. We have to understand them and their audience reach Use that to your advantage to get your business nice and visible online. And we've given you a bunch of great ways that you can do that and you can do your own research to find even more. One message that I want to leave our listeners with is to always, always just be helpful and be true to your why whenever you're thinking about what to put in these free channels. Yeah, great summary, George. All right, listeners, as always, you can find links to everything that we've discussed in the show notes and we'll chat to you next week. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Kev. See you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook, the easier way to champion your business online.